Well, hello and welcome to this special cross podcast episode of the For Jesus podcast and the King and Culture podcast. My name is Luke Simmons. I'm one of the pastors at Redemption Church Gateway. And today we are making history. We are making one episode that's going to go out on two podcast platforms. This is incredible. And I'm with two really great friends, Nikki Reeves. Hi, Nikki. Hi. Great to have you here. Great to do this together. So happy to be here. Thanks. Yeah. And my other great friend, Jeffrey Wilcoxon. Good afternoon, Luke. Good afternoon, Jeffrey. You're a familiar voice to our faithful Four Jesus listeners. Yeah, I've been uh, holding down the helm for season three, season four of the Four Jesus podcast. So thank you for inviting us. Yeah, man, you've been helping us get to know the next generation. Oh, they're uh, wonderful. I love them. So, So what we thought with this podcast, this is kind of a fun thing. All three of us really love movies. Uh, we see a lot of movies. The three of us probably see more movies than any other three people that I know. <laughs> um, and uh, Jeffrey, you and I go see a lot of movies together. And oftentimes after we see them, I'll be texting with Nikki or she'll text me and say, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen this? And we'll have a lot of conversations talking about different stuff. And so, Jeffrey, this was your idea. Said, hey, what if we did a special episode to talk about some of the movies that we saw this this past year. So how did you how did you think of this? I, I think part of it came out of the For Jesus or the last season, um, talking about what are the things that influence the next generation. And as movie lovers and movie goers, I know that these movies affect us, mm. um, especially I think for the three of us, because I think we just like to talk about them. I think uh, because there's a general interest and an excitement around stories, um, I think it just made sense. And plus, I think there were some good movies this year. Yeah. So, Nikki, you've been a guest on one of the other podcasts, Talking to Humans, which has gone dormant for a little while. They're about to start recording some new episodes, but you're here in the studio with us, going to talk some movies. Is that exciting? Oh, I'm so excited. I love movies, and I love having people to talk to them about because not everybody feels the same. So, Yeah. Have you always been a movie person? No, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a... I love stories, though. Yeah. So... And the older I get, the more I appreciate a really well-crafted story. So Yeah, cool. So I know people who are like movie people where they're like every night they're watching a movie of some kind, right, uh, from various streaming platforms or sort of, well, I guess that's sort of how everyone watches movies now, or, you know, movies on TV or whatever. I really mostly just go to movies because if I watch a movie at home, I'm almost certainly going to fall asleep through it. Um, so is that, are you guys kind of more like me or more like those other folks or a little bit of both? I think it depends. If it's definitely something I feel like I need to see in the theater, then I'm going to definitely go to see the theater. So I have kind of a criteria, like I'm going to see this in the theater. I'm going to see this on streaming. Okay. Yeah, a little bit of both. I, As my kids got older, we probably do watch more movies at home, but I don't – I would rather see something in the theater. So the experience of going to the theater is yes. something you really like. Yes, and okay. seeing on a big screen, I think you notice things, yeah. see things you wouldn't see on a smaller screen. Yeah, cool. So here's what we're going to do for this episode is we're going to do kind of an initial lightning round of a bunch of questions that I have. And Nikki, you have some questions for us. And we're going to just kind of go quickly through some of these, thinking about movies in general, our experience of it, how we engage it. And then at the end, we're going to talk about five of our favorite movies of the year. We've made lists, right? We've each submitted our top you know, this and that, and we're now going to compile them and we're going to have a huge spoiler filled conversation about some of our favorite movies. And so we thought we'd do some of the fun lightning round stuff in case you don't want to have these movies spoiled, but, uh, you know, we're going to just 
kind of tackle it that way. So um, I think that's maybe a good place to start. So here's here's a first question, and, and you've kind of alluded to it already, but why do you love going to movies, Nikki? I love to see movies because I love a good story. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think they connect us in ways that um, are really unique. I think we all want to be a part of a story and see ourselves as part of a story. We are part of a story, the greatest story ever told, and yeah. I think that's just inherent in us. Huh. You done? Yeah, uh, same with storytelling, but also just the ability for them to um, directors, actors, the screenwriters to pull it all together and then pull it off because you know there's so many moving parts and pieces that it goes into making a movie. Mm. And so when it's executed at the highest level and it affects you, it's magic. Yeah, yeah, I love just getting lost. Yes, in story. You know, I feel like my mind is just always on, and having a, a few hours to. Not just escape, but to actually be drawn in and immersed into thinking about some other dynamic or some other world. It's just that part's just really fun. And then I just love, I love the whole experience. I I love how a theater smells, and I love the sound, and I, you know all that is just is that pretty great. So um, here's a question that, that I imagine some people would ask, like, th- and this has actually made me a little hesitant even to want to do this episode because um, some of the movies we're going to talk about are like rated R you know um, and so so how do you how do you process a decision to see a kind of unsavory movie right like how do you okay that movie's going to have bad words or that movie's going to have some skin or that movie's going to you know be very violent or how do you personally kind of decide yeah i'm okay seeing that or eh, no i don't really want to see that how how do you think that through yeah, that's a great question and a really important thing to consider if you're going to go see a lot of movies. Um, I think you need to know yourself and what kinds of content might trigger addictive uh, behaviors for you or um, other things you don't want to have in your life. Um, I, I have a line, I feel like. I don't know that I could define that line. But um, one thing I do know about myself in this area is I don't really like gratuitous sex or violence. Mm. Um, if it doesn't really propel the story or isn't part of the story. I just find it distracting and not really purposeful. So would gratuitous be kind of like, um, like I, I remember seeing Goodwill hunting, which, you know, I want to show to my teenage daughters, but it's got like 150 F words or something. And yet I can't really imagine those characters not talking like that. Right. So that, that's the, that's the hard to define thing. Like when is it too much? What too much for me might be, fine for someone else and vice versa so i think it's a personal thing and it's your conscience yeah so jeffrey do you have any insight on that how do you how do you process that uh context and conviction so context is i think we talked about it but i think about a movie like uh saving private ryan Hmm. world war ii it's going to have a lot of violence but they're also soldiers probably going to have a lot of language and so and it's historical so in that sense i'm willing to probably engage in something that is outside of my boundaries say, okay, because this is historical. I know it's a great movie amazing, um, you know, performances, but on the conviction level, you, you do need to understand kind of what is your line? Like, you know, uh, and I think it's a great conversation to have with your spouse or with your kids as you're all engaging media, kind of understand like what, what affects you, what doesn't affect you. So I think, I think that's really important. If you're watching a, you know, show about police officers or, some other context, you're going to have more language and more violence. If it's more of a character driven, maybe a family drama, mm-hmm. 
sometimes they throw in the extra language and, and sex and you're like, well, this doesn't really make sense. It doesn't propel the story. It doesn't, doesn't do anything more than it just seems like it just makes it easier to sell to the, to the public. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm in a movie, I'm often thinking like, could this character have been the same character without this? And if it feels like, no, then it's like, okay, this makes sense. And if it's like, yes, it's like, eh, this isn't. But the question is really like, how do you make that decision before you go right before you see it? Um, and so that's where sometimes a lot of times you can tell bit by a trailer, what they're trying to promote and what they're trying to do. And so there's times where I think that's a, a question. One of the things that I think through is like, um, okay, if I'm going to see something that is sinful or that is wrong, does seeing it make me want to see more of it or does it make me go? Yeah, no, thanks. And depending on where my heart is and depending on what it is, the answer to that might be different, and I have to kind of gauge that. I also know, Jeffrey, there's times you and I, you know, if a movie's going and there's, you know, kind of a sexy time scene, that's what you call it, sexy time. Sexy time. Oh, that movie's got a lot of sexy time. Um, if there's a lot of sexy time, you know, you and I will just sort of gaze at each other for a little while and uh, <laughs> and just, you know, try to look away look together, away, you yep. know, and, uh, and sort of wonder who from our church might be there watching these elders oh, gaze into each other's eyes during the sexy time scene. Well, one, I mean, one thing that I do is a lot of times I'll go to IMDB because it will give you kind of an idea of why it's rated PG 13 or why it's rated R. And mm. so that's another way to kind of gauge like, okay, is it in the context of say a married couple, um, that's engaging in a sexual activity or is it just looks, sounds like it's just some kind of hookup or some, yeah. Some, that's something so that that can help be helpful to kind of discern yeah. what to see and what to not to see yeah all right jeffrey what are you hoping for when you go see a movie oh i want to be entertained i want to be challenged and hopefully emotionally moved um so if i'm coming out of the movie and kind of like the movie we, we uh, that we're going to talk about later uh we felt a bit perplexed or like okay. what w- what was that trying to say like i love that which, which movie is that um, Banshees of Inner Sheeran. Okay, yeah. yeah the there ending are a few was movies just... we're going to talk about that kind of felt like that. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, yeah, if I feel challenged, I, you know, Christopher Nolan movies always challenge me, so I think that's helpful. If if I feel like I kind of know where it's going, like halfway through the movie, like I will start to kind of check out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to be entertained. So, I mean, yeah. but, but it doesn't need to have explosions or cars or muscles. Like if it's just uh, gripping and amazing performances and a compelling story, yeah, it's got me. Good. That's good. Um, Oh, I think you mentioned this earlier, but I really want to be transported Mm. and it's not an escape. I think it's, I think stories, one of the things stories do that, why they're so important for us as humans is they get us out of ourselves. Um, I really want to get caught up in someone else's story that I didn't know before a new story. Maybe I really want to learn something. I want to think about something, think deeply about something. I want to be moved um, in my heart and my mind, and um, really, I just want to witness something like beautiful and meaningful. Meaningful is a really mm. big one for me. If something's meaningful, it really gets me. Mm. Yeah, that's great. What about you? Yeah, I, I don't know that I would add a great deal to what you guys said, other than um, oftentimes, you know, at the end of the year, when I think about what were some of my favorite movies, a few of them will always kind of be something where I go, I don't feel like I've ever seen anything like that before. Like one that comes to mind was Shape of Water, which I know was controversial. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. But part of what was so interesting to me about it was I just was like, I've never seen anything like that before. Like that was just kind of so trippy and interesting. And um, 
there was a movie kind of like that a few years ago. I can't, oh man, I can't remember the name of it, but I remember it was one where it was like Texas, the state was like almost a character in the movie because of how it was shot. It hell, was, hell or high water. Yeah, that's what it was. Out of baby. I remember that one. And I remember that similar, like, oh, like, man, I just, have, I just don't remember seeing something like that. So, um, I obviously don't expect most movies to be like that, but I'm I'm hoping that every year there's at least a few that are kind of in that category. So, all right, next question is uh, <laughs> this is this is a fun one to me because uh, we are going to make this distinction. What is the difference between a movie and a film? The difference between a movie and a film, Nikki. Okay, I'll start. Yeah, so we sound so pretentious with this question. Uh, yeah, I just know, I know that, but I know. So I'll admit. So when you first um, propose this podcast and you propose that distinction. I, I Googled it <laughs> um, because I felt like I knew it huh. in my heart and mind. Mm-hmm. Like if you would have asked me that day, what are some films you saw? I, I probably would have maybe categorized them, but I was like, is there an official definite? Like, I don't know. So um, that was kind of fun to, and I was like, yeah, that, that, that's like what my gut was telling me, but okay. So here's an analogy I've come up with that. Cause I've had this conversation with my family. I think a movie is like a roller coaster. Okay. You, you kind of know where it's going to go. If you close your eyes on it, you don't really miss much. You still get the full experience. If you, you know, uh. get up and go to the bathroom or something, not in a roller coaster, but in a movie, <laughs> yeah. um, you're not going to miss much, uh-huh. you know, um, you know where you, it's ending up, but it's a wild ride getting there. It should be a fun, wild ride. You should have a good time. Your hair should be blown back a little bit when you okay. get to the end. And then I was thinking a film is like a botanical maze. Mm. You, you enter it, you know, there's a thing that the thing, the movie's going to get at or more than one thing. You don't know how you're going to get there. You don't really know where it is or what it is, Yeah. but you know, what's there and you meander, you wander, uh. you might see something surprising. You might even get a little shock. You know, maybe somebody jumps out of a bush at you or something, but it's, it's more of a journey mm. and you don't really know what the journey is going to entail. So. Huh. Wow. I really like that. Thanks. That's a great analogy. Did that, did you come up with that or was yeah. that a Google thing? That I did not see on you, Google. You I did, I did come up wow. with that. Beautiful. But Jeffrey, I don't know thanks. if you can add, I don't know if either <laughs> of us can add anything to that, but what, what do you see as a difference? And, and for this conversation, you know, we're going to kind of mostly just call them movies, but we are going to, when we get to the end, we'll sort of break down our favorites based off our favorite movies versus our favorite films. So. Yeah, I, th- I think a uh, scope of budget and accessibility. I think once you get mm. to a certain budget level, um, you're probably going to be asked to buy a studio to make something that's going to be very accessible to a large, large audience because mm. you're trying to get your money back. Whereas a film, um, you may not be, um, it might be more of a passion project. It might be a story that's not as accessible. It might be a little more obscure to the normal movie watching crowd. And so the, the filmmakers are able to, to explore stories that um, are a bit unique. Mm-hmm. So um but I also think that films will play more with um, kind of non-traditional storytelling, challenging topics. They play with nuance a bit more. Whereas if it's a Marvel movie, it needs to have a pretty, you know, three act um, typical structure, hoary uh, hero journey. Mm-hmm. So whereas films, I think say, well, I'm, we're, we're not going to go with the typical tropes. We're going to try to tell a different type of story to, with a different story arc. Yeah. That makes sense too. Yeah, I think about it as kind of like movies have really broad appeal and um, usually are going to, you know, lots of people are going to like them. Films are going to be more artistic, probably a little slower, probably a little more like, what did that mean? 
Um, and, you know, usually designed for a more kind of niche audience. You know, it's funny now because going to enough movies, you can tell um, both by the kinds of trailers that are being shown, what kind of movie you're going to see. Because usually it's like in the same, like at least family. Um, and you can also, I can now tell by like the production companies, right? So if it's a focus, it's like, okay, this one's going to be weird, you know? Or A24. Or A24, <laughs> Searchlight, like, okay, film, you yeah. know? If it's like universal movie, you know, like, so you can kind of begin to pick that apart. But man, I really like that analogy, Nikki. Thanks. The roller coaster versus the botanical maze. And uh, both are really fun. And both are really great. So that's, I, I mean, we're not trying to be pretentious like we only care about films. Um, but I think it is fun to make a little bit of a distinction. Because, like, for me, I would say probably the movie I enjoyed the most was Top Gun. I mean, it was just a blast. Like, it was so great. And um, But I don't know that it's the movie I appreciated the most, right? And that, that's some of how I think about it, too. Like, you know, when I get home or the next day when I talk to Molly, she'll say, did you like it? And I'll say... I appreciated it, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, like, it's not really the question in a film. It's more like, did you understand it? Did you appreciate it? So anyway, all right. I have one more, uh, I have one more question. And then Nikki, I know you have some is what's your prediction about the future of the movie industry, right? Like this is a big question right now. Will there be movie theaters? So much is going to streaming. Like, could, will we be able to do this podcast in five years and talk about all the movies we went to theaters and saw? What's your prediction? Gita? Uh, well, as long as we have storytelling, as long as people want to hear stories, I think um, we'll figure out a platform to do it. I think things are starting to get back to normal. So I think movie theaters will continue to exist. I think they will have to maybe think about other uh, distribution streams. So um, not just the typical big studios. I think there'll probably be a lot of other independent studios that will get bigger chances I also think like if you look at some of our local Harkins theaters, they have um, bars and so you can serve beer and wine. So I think for them being able to continue to ha be cash positive or have good revenues, I think will help to survive. They may have to explore other avenues around food. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm hoping though that the theaters won't be just the place where you have to go see Marvel movies and they'll only show Marvel movies because they're big enough and will sell enough popcorn and sodas and attendance to to keep things alive. So I I'm positive on it now. I if you would have asked me a year and a half ago, I probably would have been a little more down on it, but I think it's going to rebound. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm I want I I really want it to rebound. I um but man, there's some Tuesday or Thursday nights where we go in there and it's like we're like the only people in here, you know. True. And then you go to Spider Man, uh, and it's like, holy smokes, every seat is filled. Um, I I think I think there will always be movie theaters. I want I think there will be significantly fewer in the next five to ten years. Like I actually have been thinking from a redemption church standpoint and like church planting, like how do we get a hold of these theaters when they start being emptied out? Because they'd be but I so I think there will still be theaters. I just don't know that every mall will have one and that every shopping center will have one. I think that they might have to consolidate a little bit. That's my prediction. Nikki, what about you? You're less of a Harkins person. Well, actually, this year, um, I saw 29 movies in the theater this year. Okay. Man, I almost made it to 30. By the end of the year, I, it'll, it'll probably be 30. And most of them were in Harkins. Um, really? 
That's yes. new for you. Yeah, it is new for me. You this used year. to go to uh, what's we it used called? Used to go to well, it was Alamo, yes. but it changed to Majestic, and the the variety's not there, hmm. and the films the films I wanted to see weren't always there. Which is Majestic structured kind of like Alamo was? Yeah, where they have kind of a cool pre-show thing. No, and I don't think it's... And you can eat a meal, and they, you know, silence you. <laughs> right. They walk around and kick you out if you talk. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yes and no. It's okay. You can still eat in there. Um, the pre-show's not quite as dynamic as Alamo's were, okay. unfortunately, because that was really fun. That was a big draw for me. I enjoyed that. Um, people do talk a lot in Majestic, which okay. oh, we'll get to later is, uh, you know, pet peeve. So and I think it's because there's the whole ordering server thing going on. Yeah, sure. Um but I think so. My predictions are more like my hopes, or they're kind of synonymous. Um, well, I predict the end of the Marvel MCU. Let's, or I mean, how MCU. many more can they do? Right? I, well, that's exactly. There's going to be a new one of that, though, right? I don't know. Like, it won't be Marvel, but it'll be the next. Oh, something some new, other, probably. You know, universe of characters from something. I mean, it makes it makes the money, so probably. Um, I, th- I think as far as the art and the craft go, I think the competition is good. The streaming services that are backing a lot of films and the smaller production companies um, that I hope are doing well, we, they seem to be pumping out the movies. I, I hope they'll continue because I think that is a boon to the craft of it, which I enjoy, the storytelling, where we see them. Yeah, you remember when um, digital books came out and everyone was like, oh, there's not going to be a paper book left on the earth? Yeah, and sure. That. I was worried at that time, and that didn't really change. So hmm. maybe it'll be the same for movies. I yeah. don't know. Um, yeah. But Interesting. I, I do love going, so I hope it stays. Yeah, me too. All right, so Nikki, now you have some lightning round questions also. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be on the hot seat. All now. right, let's go. Okay. Do you guys review uh, read reviews of the movies before you go or not, Luke? I do not. Why? No, I, I will look at um, the Rotten Tomato score, you know, the critics and the um, you know, audience, the, the people, the you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll look at that. Um, I will sometimes read a description. I'll often watch the trailer unless there, occasionally there's a movie where Jeffrey will say, Hey, we're going to go see this, but you can't watch the trailer. Um, but no, I don't want to read the review. I don't want to watch reviews on YouTube. I, I, I do a lot of that afterward. Um, especially if it's one I'm really intrigued by, but I, I don't, I don't want to know much going in. Yeah, same, unless I'm on the fence. So if there's something that I feel like is kind of panned by the um, critics, I may read a few, but I, I, I just try to get the, the quick summary. I don't want I don't go too in-depth, but same with Luke. After the movie, that's when I will consume a lot of information to figure out what was the ending, uh, why did they shoot it in that location, uh, what, what, was, what were they really trying to say, because sometimes it's hard to figure out what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. Jeffrey turned me on to a podcast called... Um, the Directors Guild of America, the DGA podcast, where um, usually what they'll do is they'll have a screening of a movie um, that's screened to directors in Hollywood. And then um, to direct the director of the movie and another director will have a conversation about it. And that one's always interesting because you have people who are, you know, informed on the craft of filmmaking, asking questions about it. And that always is kind of I, I like that a lot. So I do that afterward, but not before. Yeah. What about you? Same. Yeah. Same Same as you guys. I, I always have seen a trailer, which is most of the time, which is how I know about it. But I don't want to, I don't really want to know what anybody else thinks about it until I know what I think about it. Huh. So, yeah. yeah. And afterwards, yeah. Then I'm, I very, if it's a movie I really liked or made me think that I'm voracious, I have to know all the things, all the tea, you know, 
whatever <laughs> surrounding it. Okay, what are your movie theater pet peeves? G-Dub. Definitely talking, playing with their phone. Uh, parents who are not keeping their kids under control. Those are the top three. Those sound like your normal pet peeves. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I, mostly it's like if there's a technical issue with the movie, like we saw something recently and it was like pretty quiet and kind of the sound just wasn't very good. And then you have to, you know, someone has to run out and go say, Hey, this kind of doesn't sound right. But you're also wondering like, is it actually supposed to sound like that? I mean, so if there's ever a technical thing, especially cause then you got to go miss it to like get it addressed. So, but other than that, like, I don't know. I don't Talking know. doesn't bother you in a movie. I don't feel like people do it much. Like, I mean, and if if someone's talking in the movie, it's probably me. I'm probably leaning over and going. That's probably true. That, that uh, so yeah, I don't know. Well, that's I can't be too offended by that. I guess. Right, right. No, I, I see. Is that, that clearly bothers you, huh? It's it makes me feel rage. Really? Yes. Ooh. I, wow. I, that's why you liked Alamo. Yeah, well, because they were militant about yeah, people they, talking. They're well, supposed except to be, they, but they were talking. Well, that's that was some my experience. Or if somebody brings like when we saw Nope, which I know we're going to talk about, there was someone that had young kids in there, yeah, like young girl, and they were scared. Uh, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That that uh, that's not a pet peeve. I'm, sometimes I'm like, what were you thinking? True. So if parents bring kids into a movie, you're like, that's not a good idea. But hey. right, okay. What is your movie theater routine, or what are you? What's your usual? I'm going to get this to eat. I'm going to wear this, you know, get there early. Wear this? I don't know. Was this Harry Harry Potter and we're (laughs) dressing up in character? No, but that's a good question because I think a lot of times you and I will bring a jacket even in the summer because they crank the AC. And so I feel like you and I are taking hoodies with us almost all the time. Yeah, Jeffrey and I see a lot of movies together. So oftentimes the routine is actually one of us picks the other one up. We live about a mile from each other. And depending on which theater we go to, we always go to Harkins. We both have the popcorn perks thing. And so we'll get in line and uh, get get our popcorn. Um, usually a little bit of butter layered, you know, mm-hmm. um, but depending. And then um, lately I, I get soda water. It's the free refill in the Harkins cup. And um, the big question each time now is at the side like condiment stations, do they have the lemon juice packets laid out there that you can put into your soda water, or do you have to ask them for some lemon juice packets? I see. So we have to do a little bit of a read on that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, um, yeah, we uh, get get that stuff, get our napkins, and then uh, one of us goes to the bathroom while the other one guards the popcorn, and then we switch. <laughs> Did you want this level of detail, I, Yes, Nikki? absolutely. And then, uh, yeah, off in, into the theater we go, so... Yeah, the uh, the only thing I would add on that is um, a lot of times I will not start eating the popcorn until the title sequence comes c- comes on or the title of the movie. Yes. So sometimes the title won't come on till three five minutes into the movie. I will wait until that comes on. That's my cue to take my first bite of popcorn. Excellent. I didn't used to have that habit, but now I do. Thanks to Jeffrey. That's a good you're hab- looking yeah. at your empty popcorn bag, right. and Jeffrey's got a full one over here. Uh-huh. Yes, that's great. Yes, I, um, I love all that. I have a movie theater blanket now. I'll keep it in the car. Really smart um, for the you know because yeah. the, the AC. Um, uh, I gave up popcorn recently, which is a little bit heartbreaking. But I do, I do love that popcorn. Okay, um, do you guys stay through the credits? Do you sit and watch all the way through the credits? I think only if 
we encounter an ending that is just shocking or confusing or really interesting. Cause I think there'd be times we'll sit there, but we're not watching the credits. We're basically going, what just happened? Yeah. We'll look at each other like, Whoa. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they, obviously they will do little things that make you kind of tell that they want you to keep watching the credits cause they'll have little, you know, additional stuff. Um, I remember though the movie. One of my favorite movies of last year was Pig, and um, I think Nikki, you asked me. You said, "Hey, did you stay through the credits?" And I thought and went, "Yeah, I actually did." Like there was something about the way the movie ended and the music at the end. It just like was like kept you. I don't know. It just kept me in my seat till the very end. And I thought it was such an interesting question that you asked. Yeah, that um, that was probably one of the first movies where I thought. This this is well. I do like watching the credits. I I like reading them as you know as much as I can. Um, I think the music choices are really interesting. I mean, they're very intentional. You know, the music they put at the end of a movie or the sounds. Um, when I saw well, Pig was a great example because it's got the sounds of the forest and and there. And then I saw um, maybe I saw recently Armageddon Time. The sound over the credits. There's some sounds of like school ground playground sounds, mm-hmm. which some of the story a lot of story takes place in the school. So I just think it's. They make interesting choices, and I like to see wh- the music at the end. Usually, the very end is all the the songs that are in the movie, and I just like to look at that. Yeah. So, I also feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's meaningful. Huh. Something about it, like all these people had a hand in this movie, and they, sure. I don't know, I find it. Interesting. Yeah, more than often than not, I'm out of there before the credits are over. But but sometimes it is amazing the number of people that have to be involved in in a film. Did you have more? That's it. That's it. Great okay. Job. Well, then here is my last lightning round question is um, uh, tell me just what were some of your favorite movies of the year? And then we'll talk about which ones we're going to talk about. And then with your answer is make sure to tell us like what's what's the number one movie you think people should go see that you saw this year. So also just for frame of reference, we're talking movies that are basically since last year's Oscars. So the Oscars took place in like February. So it might have been movies we saw in January or February, but we're talking about really kind of February to the end of the year is the scope that we have in mind here. So, And besides the title, what else do you want us to get? Yeah, so tell me just a few of your favorite movies and then the one that you'd go, oh. I recommend this one the most. Yeah, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, uh, Banshees of Inner Sheeran, The Fablemans, The Menu, Nope, Don't Worry, Darling. And my number one is The Fablemans. Fable ones. You just yep. saw, you just saw that. Right? I just saw that, and I know I'm feeling is like okay, a is there recency bias, a little recency or? bias, but it is so well done. And then also actually actually hearing the DGA um, interview with Steven Spielberg, huh. um, with Paul Thomas Anderson interviewing him. Oh, wow, it, even more so. Wow, that's like that's like two Hall of Famers there talking. Uh, True. Wow, and the Fable ones is kind of based off of Spielberg's story, correct? It's really based on his story because okay. uh, Seth Rogen, who's in the movie, kept asking Stephen on the set, like, "Does this did this really happen? He's like, yes, this really happened. And then during the interview with Paul Thomas Anderson, he was alluding to something like, yeah, this that these all these events really happened. There was a, he said there was a couple events they kind of constructed, but for the most part, that's his, uh, his falling in love with uh, this um, film and, and yeah. also just his family. Nice. Dan, dynamics. Nikki, some of your favorites? Yeah, so everything we're going to talk about today, definitely on my list. Um, my, uh, I'll get to my top film in a minute, but uh, also in addition to what you guys have already mentioned that we're going to discuss, I really enjoyed Bullet Train. 
Yeah. The movie? Uh-huh. I, was I just fun. saw that's on Netflix now. Oh, okay. If people have Netflix, they could go watch that. I thought it was a ton of fun. Um, so many so many movies came out this year, so this was really hard to choose. But I loved I loved Elvis. I saw that three times, okay. which was the most I saw. Anybody. I saw a lot of things twice, but I saw wow. that three times. Um, I loved Macbeth, which came out, I believe that was a 2022 release. Was that Denzel? Yeah. Okay. Beautiful, black and white, just exquisite exquisite if you love Shakespeare even if you don't everything everywhere I loved vengeance was really great and I also really liked 3,000 years of longing it was kind of <laughs> wild but um huh. I like Tilda Swinton so I'm probably a little biased there and 3,000 years of longing sounds like the opposite of another movie you really like Jeffrey which was the triangle of sadness <laughs> those two <laughs> you probably watch those back to back and have the full range of human emotion oh. you need to be balanced out yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched that but I did see the Fablemans this weekend uh, upon your recommendation and I was trying to decide if it bumps up there on my list and I did I did love it huh. it was very yeah I, I've been thinking about that a lot but my number one movie was Marcel the Shell. And I um, brought a little friend with me. I know you, oh, wow. your listeners can't see this, but I have a little Marcel the Shell figurine. I'm just going to put him here oh for inspiration. My. There he is. I just love this movie. <laughs> There's something about Do you Marcel. carry it with him everywhere, or well, did I you bring start, him just, start. just he, here? He just arrived, so I might, I might start doing that. He just, he's just, he's innocent and childlike and honest and determined and... I just love this little guy, and I just love his story. There's something about it. That was my top top movie of the year. I didn't see it. I need to see it. Yeah, sweet. Okay. Sweet film. So yeah, in addition to what we're going to talk about, um, you know, when we when we put our together our list, we broke it down between movies and, and films. One of my favorite movies was The Lost City, which was with uh, uh, Sandra Bullock, and was just super fun. Little fun cameo with Brad Pitt at the beginning, and you know, it was just kind of everything a fun movie should be. So that that was and a cool. remake. Yeah, that, that was that was good. Um, I also really liked the new Christmas movie, uh, Spirited, with uh, Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. It was kind of a hoot. You know, I, I have a long history personally with the Christmas Carol. I was in that play when I was a kid, and so yeah, that that was a, that was a fun one. And then on the film side, a couple that we won't talk about would be Vengeance. I thought that was a really interesting movie. It was funny, clever, thoughtful. Uh, you know, interesting commentary related to me- new media and podcasts and storytelling and. That sort of stuff. And then another kind of really off-the-wall one was Emily the Criminal. I thought that was fun. But but I think my favorite movie that I would just go like, hey, if you haven't seen it, is you got to see Top Gun. And right now, Top Gun is still in the theaters. I mean, this is amazing. It's still out there. I was actually telling Seth today, who has not seen it. And by the way, Seth Trout has not ever seen the original Top Gun. Oh, boy. And I was like, I don't have a box for that. What are we doing? We're canceling work today, and we're... (laughs) going to watch these movies what in the world i was like you would totally love the volleyball scene um anyway um but uh but yeah so i i thought top gun maverick was just a blast um in addition to some of the other things we'll talk about so so that's what we're going to turn to is we're going to talk through um five different pictures of some movies some films um we're not going to try to spoil them but we're not going to try to not spoil them so um just so you know kind of where we're headed with that um, and, uh, I think let's do it in this order and we'll do this in case people want to skip around or something like that is, uh, we'll do a, we'll do two movies kind of using that rubric of the roller coaster. One was the unbearable weight of massive talent. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Top Gun Maverick, and then we'll go to three of our favorite films, which were Don't Worry Darling, Banshees of Inisherin, and Nope. So that's where we're going to go. So let's start with unbearable weight of massive talent. This was the super meta movie 
of Nicolas Cage about Nicolas Cage. Um, what a trippy idea. Um, so, yeah, what what stands out to you, Jeffrey, when you think back to that movie? Uh, yeah, I mean, he has such a lore of who he is on and off the, or on and off the screen and just kind of these bombastic type of performances. So I think you, you look at the lens through, you look at the movie through the lens of kind of what you know about him as a real person, but then you're watching the movie and you realize, okay, this isn't real. And so it's, it's just weird juxtaposition, like what you know to be true and, and what is false on the screen. And then just them playing with all of these goofy tropes of who he is as a celebrity. I thought that was just so ingenious um, but then also for me, it, it felt, I felt sad once I started doing a little more research about who Nicolas Cage is really in, in person. And I just felt like the movie kind of sides or kind of swept it under the rug a little bit about really who he is. So, I mean, obviously they're not, it's not a biopic. It's not the Fablemans, <laughs> but, but I absolutely loved it of how they played with kind of who he is as a, a this caricature of himself. I thought it was brilliant. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I was thinking, who else? Who very few people could pull off this premise. Yeah, I was thinking about being John Malkovich. Maybe it's an, I I just don't know of many or any other movies that are the idea of the movie is based on the act. Like it's just it is such a meta idea, like you said, um, Nicholas Cage, who's you know good even when he's bad. You know, which uh-huh. I, I just love. I I mean, I loved him since I was a teen. You know, when he was in movies. Just kind of a teen heartthrob, yeah. sort of fringe teen heartthrob. Um, I thought it was fun. It was more heartwarming than you might think. It yeah. wasn't just an action film. It was. I think that's why I liked it in the end. It had a little more depth to it than, you know, he loves his family and he's having a midlife crisis and trying to figure out who he is and what he's supposed to do and have some meaning and purpose. And yeah. so I, I loved that aspect too. And it was funny. Uh-huh. Pedro Pascal is just, he was just on fire these last couple of years. Yeah. And he was great, great. Yeah, there were some fun twists in it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, I I said we aren't going to, I don't need to spoil it, but there's just some fun twists in it. What, one of the cool things I thought in, in it too was the, the times when, you know, Nicolas Cage now would do a scene with a kind of CGI'd up younger Nicolas Cage. Yeah. You know, f- some character from a different movie, and th- those scenes were kind of funny and, and interesting and clever. And, uh, yeah, the whole thing um, – I mean, I, yeah, it was it was just kind of a fun, silly, uh, you know, clearly he had to not take himself too seriously in order to do the role, and that is what the movie kind of felt like. So right. that was pretty cool. Well, some of the research said, I mean, he, he kind of signed off day one, and they they didn't think that, they, that he would do it. The producers thought that, you know, oh, we're going to need to get someone to play him, and, but they're like, no, at least let's ask him to see if he'll play himself. And I, I heard that he did it, like, right from the beginning, like, yes, let's do it. So I think the commentary around fame and, and celebrity, I thought that was interesting. I think they kind of dabbled a little bit about, you know, how, how do you handle um, being at the top and then not being at the top and having to take this crazy, you know, yeah. Cause he's, he's basically going like my career is so bad that I, you know, have to go to this super fans birthday party for a million dollars in order to just kind of have something to do. Yeah. There is that whole identity crisis thing that. Yeah. So it's great. Fame goes through. Yeah. Cool. All right. Second one we want to talk about is Top Gun Maverick. And other than Seth Trout, I'm assuming everybody else saw this. This is one that was like supposed to come out 
before COVID, right? And then COVID ruined that among a million other things. Um, but man, this was just a, it was so fun. Like I, part of it was I expected it to be disappointing because it's so much build up and so epic. And yet it was like, oh man, it just hit all the notes. It was really great. Yeah. I was a reluctant viewer for sure. I don't, uh, I don't, um, I don't run necessarily to the box office to see whatever the big, huge movie is. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why I just don't. So I was, I kind of went reluctantly and then I was surprised, like delightfully surprised. I just, I appreciated that just told a good story and it had all the elements of the hero story that we want and didn't try to change my mind about anything else <laughs> other than it just said, here's a good story. Here's, I, I just appreciated that. Yeah. It was, I think it was like the essence of what a good movie mm. You know, for th- thinking about movies and films, yeah. what a good movie is. It just took me on a good ride. I knew it was gonna. I knew it was probably gonna get the girl. You know, I, there's always some surprises, but I you just know. But you, how you get there is is fun. Yeah. When there were all these cool little nods to the old movie, yes, without trying to like remake the old movie. Yes. You know, like even the love interest. I forget her name was Penny. Penny Benjamin. Yeah, and there's this just weird little obscure reference to her in the first one. Um, you know, she's the you know admiral's daughter that you know he's screwing around with and you know so that kind of thing and then like you know you have the instead of the beach volleyball scene they do the beach football scene you know and um you you know so all those little just kind of nods to that were pretty cool and then i thought the ending had kind of a a real surprise like you you really thought maverick was going to sacrifice himself and he kind of did and then you went like oh wow and he made it you know and so and it and you knew it was too good to be true, and you didn't care. Nope. It was like, oh, this is just so much. And fun. then Val Kilmer, yeah, which, that was cool. It was cool, and I, I think, yeah, it. But something like that, like a cameo like that, could not go well. It could be, it could be seen as gratuitous or just sort of like we got to fit him in somewhere. But it didn't, it didn't feel like that. It felt felt right, and it felt like I had some depth and yeah. you know some solemnity and and echoes of his real life. Uh-huh. You know, what was interesting. Yeah. For a movie like this, I mean, there's such a fine line between hitting all of the notes and being super nostalgic and then, but then overdoing it. And so I felt like they, I agree with you, Luke, they had little nods to the old movie, but then it still had, it was, had still kind of a fresh kind of take on a very similar story to the first one. One thing that, um, that they tried to do is they, they really tried to recreate the same look and feel of it. So mm-hmm. they really studied the lighting and the design of kind of the shots from the original guy, Tony Scott, who, who passed away. So I think that was, I think part of the nostalgia was you don't notice it, but it looked really similar. A lot of yeah. the color grading, especially when Mavericks on the motorcycle with the jet taken off, yeah. that looks almost colorized exactly like the first movie. Yeah. Well, and then when you would realize, like, that most of the characters, especially on the flying scenes, they would, like, record themselves, go do the flight, come back, oh. and then they'd have to review the footage and basically go, nope, we didn't get it. You know, normally a director is watching the footage while it's happening, right? But they couldn't do that because of how that all works. So, I mean, they just shot hours and hours and hours of footage that they didn't use and kind of neat backstories on that. So, Do you remember the story uh, on the DGA did you listen to the DJ? Yeah, one I, one? I remember that. And I remember sending it to you because there's this guy that like had the idea for how they were going to do Maverick. And it was like, hey, you get, you know, he like flew to Europe, flew to Paris to get like 10 like, minutes yep. with 
you know, Tom Cruise while he's doing a Mission Impossible movie. And I, but I can't remember now, what did he say was the thing that kind of turned him? Well, I think it was uh, the connection to Goose. Cruise has been it's, getting pitched on this yeah, for I, 20 years. I think right? it was the connection to Goose. Um, I think so that, that kind of brought the, the old story to the new story together. So I think it was it was that that kind of emotional element to it, and then didn't it wasn't something like he he really wanted it to be like truly authentic again to the like military feel of it. Yeah, because I mean, they didn't use any green screens, so like yeah. you mentioned, they had all the cameras inside the cockpits. But I think the thing that blows me away is he's pitching it. He says, "Okay, let's do it." He called Tom Cruise calls up the head of the studio yes, and says yeah. says um, we're doing Top Gun, and he's like, "Okay." Right. So, like, the power of Tom Cruise yeah. to call the head of a studio and says, we're making a movie. Not like, hey, do you think we should make this movie? Like, we're making Top Gun 2. Right. Uh, talk to you and you know, yeah. when I'm done with That's this project. Right. Click. <laughs> wow. That's wild. Bright, great day for that guy. Oh, man. <laughs> Cha-ching. All right. So, let's talk about, then, three of our favorite films. So, the first one is one that got a lot of attention. I didn't really keep track of all the drama around it but was uh but i know there was a lot of drama which was don't worry darling so that made all three of our top five list and um you know critics weren't as high on it necessarily across the board there was a which i don't know how much of that gets into some of the like relational drama off the you know off the set um but yeah what was it that you what, what got you thinking about don't worry darling well this was a jaw dropper for me because i didn't read anything I you know true yeah. form I didn't read anything and I'm really glad I didn't because at the end I just I mean you could have picked my job off the floor I was like it just was mind-blowing um and I love that so I, I, I just love that because then the way you press so then I saw it again okay so I everything on all my top five films I've seen twice which I absolutely love wow being able, I, you know can't always do that but this year I got to do that and seeing it the second time knowing mm. it, you just it's were, were there some things you noticed oh, the yeah. second time? Can you tell yeah. us what some of those were? Oh, um, well, so spoiler, spoiler alert here for Don't Worry Darling. Um, there's, it, they're, they're basically like in a, I don't know what you'd call it, like it's like a matrix kind of, that's kind of how I thought of it. Um, yeah. The movie, it's not real. So yeah, the little things like the eggshells being empty, the glass pressing in on her, um, little things with her, I forget the, the character's names, but the her friend, it was Olivia Coleman's character, who was actually the director of the film. Um, things she says to her and the way she re- reacts to things, knowing what you know at the end, which oh, is yeah. she's she knows she's, about she knows about it, reality. and she's willing she's willingly yeah. put herself here and wants to be here. Um, you caught on those things. Um, the friend who she witnesses kill herself, you know, yeah. jump off the roof, and um, so all those things. Seeing those the second time. Now, it didn't explain everything because there's still some things like what's with the airplane. There's a lot of things that still, yeah, I'm still thinking about. Like, I don't really know where they fit. Yeah. But um, it's fun to see, to know. So it doesn't really go along with my theory of not reading reviews beforehand, but to, <laughs> wa- to watch it, discover it myself, and then yeah. watch it again, knowing that. And, and also, I, the person I was with the second time, it was their first time. And I was like, yeah, you're- watching them, waiting for their reaction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was one that really got me thinking um, about. Um, you know, what you basically have is this woman who's trapped because she's a very successful doctor or maybe a physician's assistant or something like that. And her husband is basically kind of unemployed and not doing very well and struggling. 
and he gets caught down this kind of internet wormhole and ends up essentially trapping her into this virtual reality thing because of his own desperation where he gets to be heroic and he gets to have a great job and he thinks he's serving her because in this virtual world she is this happy housewife and she doesn't have to work and she's surrounded by all these fun things and but really kind of the I don't know some of the the lengths that men will go to to um, try to feel like they matter. That got me thinking about that. Um, you know, in terms of like, man, that there really is a, a a reality that when men are trying to find their meaning, they often do it in pretty destructive ways. Um, so that that was something that I took away from it. What is it about the fifties? that always seem to show up in these type of movies when there's this idealized American life. And it always is this mid century Mm. kind of art deco kind of colorful, but uh, traditional, you know, setting like that. So that, that I think threw me is because they're they're Yeah. They're all looking for uh, an escape. They're all looking for a better life. And then they all, this virtual world is the fifties. Yeah. Like what is it? What do you guys think? Why is that? Like, why is it the fifties? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and a really great concern. It, ironically, it's one of the things that made this film such an aesthetic uh, delight was the mid-century modern. It was impeccable and beautiful. Um, the fifties, you know, post-war, post-World War II America and all the, just the way, you know, suburbia blossomed. I mean, all the, all the history around it and like leave it to beaver and all these TV shows, TV was becoming popular. So we've got this era and all these TV shows taking place in this era and how they just, this is the visual people growing up in the fifties and sixties had of what life, the good life was like, including my, my parents, Mm -hmm. you know, when they first got TV. So I think it's just stuck with us. It's the first real picture of, normal everyday life and how it should be and what women should be doing. I think the role of women, I bristled a little bit at the representation in this. I, and I thought it was so interesting how the one friend, when you, you get revealed in the end that she wants to be here because she's got this deep Mm -hmm. trauma and pain that she just can't deal with in her real life. You know, I think she lost her kids, I think is what I assumed. And so, but the way it represented um, Florence Pugh's character She's every day she's smoothing the bed sheets and she's washing the windows and she's preparing the steak and she's massaging the roast and she's cleaning the the, to- the tub. Um, and ready to make love to her husband as soon oh, as he walks through the door. Just yeah. ready <laughs> at a moment's notice, drop, drop of a hat. And those those things in and of themselves are not demeaning to women. So the, as, as a woman who's stayed home the last 27 years and raised her kids... I know I'm not like offended, but I just think it's interesting that th- there can be meaning in those things. Now it's not what she wanted to do. So then there's the whole amount of choice, right? Her choice is mm-hmm. taken away, his insecurities, his, his failures. There's a lot of layers here, but that in and of itself being the representation of if a woman's doing this, she's trapped, which I think maybe is part of the message of the movie. Maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. one of the messages I think is, uh, well, I think it's 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 at least Olivia Wilde who wrote and directed it. I'm taking it as actually that the the romanticization, the idealization of the 50s is a kind of fantasy continued by insecure men hmm. who don't like the way the world has changed. 
right? And when they get the chance to dream about their idyllic world, it's back to that where they have the power and they have the acclaim and everyone's cheering for them and they have a nice, sweet, pretty, well-dressed, ready to have sex at any point, ready with dinner, you know, here, honey, let me have your coat and slippers, you know, that, that even the desire for a return to that sort of yesteryear is just part of, you know, the patriarchy and the loss of, you know, whatever things used to be. So I, I, I see the critique there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, it, it, it is visually a really beautiful movie. I mean, it's well which, th- which, which makes the juxtaposition at the end when they go back to the real world and it just seems dark and dreary and rainy, like uh-huh. in, even more of a kind of a shock to the system yeah. when you realize, oh, they're in this virtual world and the real world is just horrible. Uh, Florence Pugh uh, is an amazing actress. I've really enjoyed, um, yeah, almost all the stuff that Little Women. She was incredible in that one. So yeah. I'm. She's in a King Lear too. That's oh yeah, oh really good. Yeah. All right. So let's go to number two, a movie that we really or film that we really loved was Banshees of Inisherin. <laughs> so great. Which is uh, this is a trippy movie. This is an Irish movie, really from top to bottom. Shot in Ireland. Uh, writer director. Tons of the cast is all Irish. My next door neighbor, by the way, is Irish, and he was so excited to see this movie. He hadn't seen it yet. Um, but it's essentially about these two friends who have been friends for a long time in this little village um, off the islands of Ireland. They can see from where they are the wars that are happening between the Protestants and the Catholics. They can hear the bombs going off. They can see the battle raging. But they're in this nice little sweet village and they've been friends forever and one friend just decides I don't want to be your friend anymore to the other friend and um, at first you can't really tell like is he serious and then you realize oh he's serious and it 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 just devolves from there it was it was wild it was just so wild so yeah what what stands out to you as you reflect back on that movie yeah for me it feels like a unhealthy case study of friendship and dealing with despair. They talk about this despair, but there's also this idea of what lengths are you willing to go to pursue art? So, um, you know, um, Colm is pushing away his friend Patrick because he wants to, you know, he, he's near the end of his life. He wants to have more time to dedicate towards music. And so he plays the fiddle, he plays the fiddle. And so he just wants to get rid of anything that's going to keep him in front of teaching other musicians and writing music and he just does it in the most unhealthy way. Um, but it really makes you th- reflect on re- friendships and relationships. Uh-huh. You know, so much as, as sinners, we're thinking of it so transactional, you know. And really, how do we, how do we really think about friendship in a way that is more God-honoring and, and sacrificial? Like, how do I love this person through our, refer- our relationship? How do we serve each other? So the, all those kind of th- things were kind of kind of bouncing around my head during the movie and after the movie. Yeah. The cinematography in this movie was just stunning, just stunning, beautiful. Um, Well, and it was interesting how a lot of the shots felt like they really communicated things. Yeah. You know, like one of the things I've started to pay attention to, especially with films that I know are trying to tell me something is what's happening in the first like two minutes. Mm. You realize like what's said, what's seen, what's heard, like that becomes very important. And the thing that stood out to me from a cinematography standpoint was you had all these aerial shots of this area where it's these fields and just tons of walls, yeah. all these little walls everywhere, you know, that 
you know, when you go back in history, people each controlled a little plot of this land and that was their land and that's how they did it. But there's just walls and they're all like kind of, you know, half high walls, not super high, but just walls everywhere. And I thought that is what this movie ends up about is just more and more walls getting built between people. And I thought from a cinematography standpoint, like that really came through just through that opening sequence. That's so good. There's that Robert Frost poem, something there is that loves a wall. And he tells a story about how the neighbors, the neighbor and Robert Frost are walking the wall because they're fixing the gaps in the wall. Mm. And, and then Robert Frost is like, why do we need a wall? We're friends. We don't need a wall. We don't need any boundaries. And the neighbor says, oh, there's something there is that loves a wall. Um, yeah, that's that's great. That, that's beautiful. Yeah, this, I love this movie. I got to say this twice too, which was great. Um, the second time I was thinking more about is Perig the one who's being the selfish one here? Like, mm-hmm. let it go, give it a rest. The one who's being rejected as a friend. Yeah, the one who's being rejected as a friend who. But who really kind of ends up sort of escalating yeah he, to he, some extent he, something he this event happens that he just turns his corner and so his journey was the most interesting um Colum, i think was depressed definitely a mental health crisis there you know the priest mentions it my favorite scene is one of my favorite scenes is the in the confession box him and the priest it's just great um so a lot of there's funny funny moments in this mm-hmm. movie but but pretty it, but pretty severe it's i mean pretty, like like I mean, he threatens, hey, if you keep messing with me, I'm going to start cutting off my fingers. Right. And he starts doing it. And, and it's like, and he, whoa. <laughs> and he, you know, it gets real, it gets gnarly, right? Yeah. And they just get from bad to worse to worse to worse. Yeah. And and yet, still, his friend doesn't leave him alone yeah. entirely, which causes, you know, him to go to the extreme, the column to go to the extreme. But I I could relate to Colin because I this feeling of wanting to leave something behind he mm. realizes he's only got a little bit of time left probably and he wants to do something with deep meaning and and he says we don't remember anybody who's nice this whole idea of niceness is nice enough does nice matter who cares if you're nice and the simple friend Pat Patrick or Perig or however they say it is he's like nice is good why, why wouldn't you want to be nice I always thought I was nice my mommy was nice my sister's nice um so they're, they're very different people, mm. but I think pa- Patrick's love for his friend is what I just, he really cares about him until he gets pushed at the end. And even then he says he'd take care of his dog anytime. You know, there's this, yeah. you don't really know at the end what's going to happen yeah. to their sure. friendship. No, it's, it really is like, you keep having these like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The, the thing that I, I'd like to, I, if I saw it again, and I, so I'm curious if you have any insight here is, um, you know, the title banshees of Inishirin. so um you know he, he um Colum writes a song by that title i believe right mm-hmm. the, the little village they're in is Inishirin, mm-hmm. and he writes a song called banshees of Inishirin. and a banshee and i was actually talking to my neighbor Vinny, about this you know this goes back into all this irish mythology and folklore where these kind of haunted spiritual you know ghostly sort of ladies and there's a lady like that um, and she kind of makes these little appearances here and there that seem to be kind of haunting the land. And, uh, yeah, so it was interesting, like, the name of the thing and her. And, like, I, it, it got me thinking, I wonder if I understood Banshees more even. Would I understand more of what's going on in the, in the movie? Or I, I don't know. Did you have any insights I, on that I mean, I did, I did think more about that with the, char- the older woman character. Uh, were they portenders of doom, typically, yeah. the Banshees? Uh-huh. So I... 
yeah, I think you could, I think you could find that in there. You know, the, the young man, you know, was found dead floating in the lake. Of course, the older woman kind of predicts that. She says that people are going to die. Um, I think you could, I think you could find that, you know, what that time in history, Irish history, especially, even though they were kind of removed from it, they, they really weren't. I yeah. mean, they knew, they, they don't know really why it's happening, but they know it's happening and it's scary. It's right there. They can see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, and there is this thing when you, when you talk to people about those wars, they go, this was so senseless. And that's how this fight between these friends feels mm-hmm. is like, this is so senseless. Yeah. Like, wh- why did it have to get this bad? Why did yeah. it have to go this far? Like, what are we doing? You know? Yeah. And so I thought there was a interesting way that they portrayed I thought that. Thought about that. Yeah. Where the, when the police there's the moment where the policeman says to Colum, this guy this side's hanging this side or the other side's hanging this side. I don't really know. Like he doesn't really care who's hanging who. Yeah. He just know he's going to get paid and get a free lunch that day cuz he's going to go over and help out with the execution. So it just it, the ridiculousness of it, which is you you can't help but look at the story and say this is ridiculous. Yeah. But then you watch the movie and you go Oh, maybe he, I, I don't know. You just can't, you, you're sympathetic with both parties or I felt sympathetic mm-hmm. with both of them. Well, it makes you just kind of even look at your own relationships where there's some friction and go, what am I doing? Like, this is kind of dumb. Yeah. This was the movie that I thought of halfway through Wakanda forever going, I think I would rather watch a Banshee movie, <laughs> Banshees 2, than another Wakanda movie. Because with all the CGI and the special effects and the over the top kind of stuff, story and i was like I, I this is fine but this isn't this doesn't feed my soul like banshees thinking about banshees and what what these themes are about yeah. like that i would much rather see that than huh. Huh. another marvel movie but Do you think he was wrong to push his friend to the point of you know amputating amputating his finger? no i don't i mean uh yes yes because i think that's the other side of of his selfishness is he wasn't really thinking about his friend obviously he's hurt and he doesn't he, he doesn't want to lose that f- friendship, but he's he's also not listening to his friend. And so, as a friend, you're going to listen to them and say, "Hey, I don't want you to do this, or I want you to do this, or this is things that's something that's bothering you." And then, if you don't listen and you continue to do that thing, then you don't really love them, or you're not listening to them. And so, there's selfish. I think there's selfishness on both parts of, of in this movie, mm-hmm. where you know, if he just said, "Okay, I will stop talking to you." in sake of the friendship and just seeing how it goes, but he couldn't let it go. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just as guilty as selfishness as Colin. All right. Well, let's move to our number one movie. So this is not, this was not Nikki's favorite. Her favorite we've already heard was Marcel, uh, Marcel, the shell with shoes on (laughs) who is still enjoying this review for us. So Marcel, we just want you to know uh, you were, you were her beloved, but we all really, really like Nope. And I would say, you know, I recommended earlier Top Gun. I would say that probably the movie I've recommended the most to people who know I like to see movies is, hey, you should go see Nope. I've seen it twice. So it's, I think, the only one maybe I've seen twice. So did you see it twice, Nikki? You did. Okay. Did you see it twice? I think I only saw it once. I saw it once. So, yeah, Nope. This is uh, Jordan Peele's third film as the writer-director. I mean, this guy has a bit of a blank check now. He can kind of do and get away with almost anything he wants to because he's had a few hits, Get Out and Us. And now Nope. I imagine Nope's going to win some stuff. Really incredible cinematography, incredible scene. Um, can one of you just sort of synthesize the story? Yeah, it's uh, it's about a, a family who uh, 
trains horses uh, for Hollywood. So the movie starts with a brother and sister who are on set with a horse. uh, And then um, through a couple of different uh, crazy events, uh, one is their father dying from something falling from the sky. They realize that their ranch um, is kind of being um, circled or kind of uh, has a, the extraterrestrial being that's uh, hiding in the clouds. And so they uh, befriend kind of this guy from Fry's Electronics. <laughs> I thought that was really funny that they had sure. that. And they're basically, um, as the one character, uh, they want their Oprah moment. So they're trying to get this thing on camera so they can have that big moment and become, because she really wants to be rich. Her brother, I think, wants to really stay out of the limelight. He, he likes horses. He likes working the ranch. But her his sister really wants that Oprah moment. So if, they're, if they can capture it on film, this extraterrestrial, then you have this other relationship with a, a neighboring kind of uh, ranch that also is more of an amusement park. Um, but then you find out that um, they're actually um, using horses to feed this animal or this extraterrestrial, whatever it is, <laughs> um, to and, as part of their show. And so, um, and yeah, then and, and then it concludes with them trying to um, kill or capture uh, the the alien, the creature, yeah. the creature, whatever it is. Yeah. So it's called Nope because a number of times different. <laughs> During the movie, one of the main characters will say, nope, nope, I'm not going to do that, nope. But also, uh, nope is an acronym, which means not of planet Earth. Uh, and so that's kind of a fun wow. thing. And you'll notice in all the you know, in all the promotion of the movie, it's always all caps, right? Mm-hmm. So it is like an acronym. Um, to me, this was a movie mostly about spectacle, yeah. right? It opens with this crazy um, scene from a sitcom where apparently – you know, this uh, there was this sitcom that had a monkey, uh, and the monkey just went crazy and started attacking and killing a bunch of people. Um, and it's a little boy who was one of the you know actors in that sitcom who ends up starting the ranch that you talked about that's feeding the horses and kind of doing the carnival. And this sort of, it really at all these levels is this addiction to spectacle, right? Like, how far will you go to get noticed? How much will you do to just sort of be amazed by what goes on? And then, how you know, how does that eventually kind of eat you alive? Mm. Um, I thought it was kind of an interesting thing. So, Nikki? Yeah, spectacle is the perfect word for what I think this movie, one of the things I think this movie is critiquing or calling attention to. It definitely has moments of um, just these little Hollywood moments that at the beginning, like you were talking about, Jeffrey, where... They take the horse, the trained horse, to a movie set, and uh-huh. the horse flips out because people aren't listening to the trainers. Um, and then later on, there is a man that comes, uh, joins their circle that's trying to capture this thing on film, and he is a movie maker. He's just kind of this old school, oh yeah, you know, yeah. artist, tortured filmmaker. But one of the most who is basically every time you see him, everything he's watching or working on is animals attacking one Yes, another. yes. Right, and so that's what he wants to eventually capture. Yeah, he's obsessed with, he just wants you know, this moment. Which like literally to, ends up, you know, taking him uh-huh. up into being eaten by the creature. Like his dream's coming true, probably. Yeah, in right. some, cause and he's, he's getting it all on film. Yeah, and he's dying anyway. Oh, right. That's a major spoiler, probably. But, but one of the most interesting threads, I think, that I keep thinking about when I think about this movie is the young man who was on the set of the sitcom when the chimpanzee goes crazy. Yeah. And he, this young, he's a boy, and he's under a table, and, and so far everybody's bleeding to death and already dead around him, and he's under the table, and he's trying to hide from the chimpanzee who's and looking around. And there's the one shoe. 
yes, the balancing one there. Yes. Which he then keeps later and yes. keeps in his little, anyway. So, Obviously but, a traumatic, pivotal moment yes. in his life. But there's a moment just before the chimpanzee is taken out by somebody who finally arrives on set with a shotgun where the, they're reaching they're reaching for each other or they're either going to fist bump or they're reaching for yeah, each other. Yeah, they're going to fist bump. That's right. And I think he imagines some kind of connection, that he had some kind of connection with this creature, that it wasn't going to, maybe wasn't going to hurt him or that he mm. somehow tamed it or there was some, you know, yeah. supernatural connection. And I feel like he's looking for that again. Or uh. I think he thinks he can tame uh. this extraterrestrial, not of planet Earth thing. Yeah. And so and at least make it a part of his spectacle. Yeah. Right. It'll come when he calls it uh, and when he provides it some food and he has the crowd there and um, and then he realizes he can't, you know, but this idea of taming things that are wild yeah. or do we have any control? Um, and he's obsessed with this event in his life and he's got mm. this room dedicated to it and he just, well. I think one thing that makes uh, Jordan Peele's movies so fascinating and fun and entertaining is, you know, he's trying to say something. Yeah. Like a lot of other, I think, filmmakers, they're, they're, te they're telling the story and they're going to be true to kind of whether the source material was a screenplay or a book or something. But Jordan's trying to say something. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of the also the enjoyment of watching the movie, watching any of his movies. Like, okay, what is he saying in the scene or what does this mean? Is he referencing something? I mean, I think that's partly why some of uh, Quentin Tarantino's movies are, are fun because he's referencing other movies. And yeah. so that's kind of interesting. But So what did you think he was saying oh boy um i i didn't come on this on my own but i read something and then and then i thought that made a lot of sense it's mom definitely he, he's already said it's about spectacle but i also think there's something about um culture in hollywood mm. that we're always drawn to these things that are distracting us mm. and so he talked a little bit about um 2020 and george floyd and all these crazy things that were happening and you just run to whatever is catching your eye, whatever is bigger than life. And so I think he's just a commentary of all of these different characters are being pulled in by different reasons, motivations through the spectacle of this alien. Mm. Wow. What do you think it's trying to say? Yeah. Luke? Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think in something like this, it's probably not a one thing necessarily. There's probably <laughs> a few different angles. You know, um, I'm intrigued by, I don't, I don't know this, um, but I know that his first two films definitely had a racial commentary um, embedded in them. And I, so I was trying to think what, what would that be if there is one in, in this, in this movie? And I think about how the main, um, the main family involved, they run the first black owned um, uh horse ranch in Hollywood, right? So it was their horses that would get used in films and that actually it's their, the first person ever captured on film is uh, their great, 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 whoever who had, you know, was this, was this writer and now was anonymous, but, and so, you know, basically at the very beginning, the father dies and you've got this brother and sister who are left and the brother kind of just wants to keep his head down and do the ranch and do the stuff. And the sister is kind of caught up in the spectacle and feels like the only way we can do it is if we like, uh, you know, through, you know, showmanship and entertainment. And so I, I wondered if there was some critique cause I, I've heard, um, I've had some black friends talk about how one of the things that frustrates them is that, uh, some people in the black community feel like the only way out 
is to be an athlete or to be an entertainer. Sometimes um, non-white or non-black folks will kind of project that onto the black community. And like we applaud their athleticism or we applaud their showmanship, but we don't appreciate intellect or we don't appreciate these other things. And, and so I wondered if that was a piece of, of what's going on there. Um, you know, I don't know. That'd be something interesting to talk more about maybe, but, um, but yeah, I thought overall it was kind of this like, uh, Hey, you can get caught up in the pursuit of spectacle, but it's eventually going to eat you. Oh, that's, <laughs> good. that's a good, you know, like, sums uh, it up. Were you hoping that he would try to explain or expand more about the, the young actor and the, the monkey, you know, uh, scene uh, uh, that happens on set? Were you hoping that there was more there or that he would, cause I always felt like that was, I, I was left kind of longing or left, you know, unsatisfied with him drawing that. I know there's some type of connection to spectacle and to the one actor who is, uses the, you know, the alien to feed his own kind of entertainment or his business. But yeah. Yeah. I think you were left to have to connect real dots there. Cause you know, you kind of see him as a little kid and then you see him as this grown man with his own kids. Yeah. Um, I don't think he uh, ever got past it. I I just, Oh yeah. It was just traumatic. Capital T trauma. Right. Right. And this idea that you can take something wild, like a chimpanzee and make it, you know, dance monkey dance kind of thing. Um, you could put anything in that, you know, anything wild, an alien, a chimpanzee could be a horse. Like they're, they're their own, they're, they're just a creature. You know, you can't control them. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, well, all right, well, we made it. Uh, this has been super fun. Um, it's, what's fun is that we get to do this kind of all year. We have these conversations about stuff and, uh, to be able to let folks listening into that a little bit is kind of a neat thing. So, uh, man, thank you guys for, for doing this. Nikki. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, uh, I'd love to leave you guys with a little thought from Marcel the shell if I could. Oh, so I, I'll great. need your help though. Cause I'm going to ask you a question. Are you going to do it in the Marcel voice? Oh, I wish I, oh, I wish I could. Jenny, what's yes, her name? Jenny, Jenny Slate. Slate yeah. Oh, make, be a millionaire if I could do that. <laughs> uh, so uh, he, he, here it is. So guess why? Guess why I smile so much? Why? Why? Uh, because it's worth it. <laughs> Marcel the shell with shoes on. Oh, well, that leaves me smiling, Nikki. Thank you for that. That is worth it. Thank you, Luke. Well, what a great way to end. Uh, so from Marcel the shell mm-hmm. and uh, Jeffrey, thank you, brother. Nikki, thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, we hope you uh, enjoy stories, get lost in especially the true story of the world. And I uh, hope this encourages you. Have a great new year. Hey!